is the reading of God's word. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel. Next slide. All right. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts uh, from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. When I uh, began preparing for our time, I was reading our text and I was like, huh? I had so many questions like, how does this fit? What does this mean? How does this relate to Christ? And upon reading our text, if you also have questions, it makes sense. Right? Sometimes the Bible and its beliefs can be quite confusing. For example, if you took communion, the Lord stopped her at face value, right? eat my flesh, drink my blood. Right? There are two people groups uh, who will be excited after hearing that. Christians and vampires. Vampires would say, you had me at verily, right? Some beliefs don't quite square away. We need some context. We need some help so that we can relate to what scripture says. But our text offers something that is much more recognizable. Every person in this world knows at least some semblance, some definition to what we're going to talk about. And that is hope. 
And whether you call yourself Christian or you're exploring what it's about, hope is found in every form of language, found on every tongue across the world. Hope is filled with your dreams, your expectations, with anticipation, with optimism. And that's why we'll be using two points, two markers, right? Hope waiting and hope answered. Now, I've always been fascinated by symbols and the significance we place on them. For example, the symbol of the dove represents peace and calm. The symbol of the owl represents wisdom and intelligence. The symbol of a shield, like a lot of college logos, represents defense or safety. And one of the most powerful and yet controversial symbols of our time is the American flag. It can be seen as a symbol of patriotism, and yet it can also be seen as a symbol of nationalism. Symbols have a huge significance in our day. If you were to burn the American flag, you would not merely be introducing a heat source to a piece of fabric, but you would be in some way or form altering a symbol. And at the start of our text, it mentions something called purification or purification rites. In the Old Testament, when, whenever there was a birth, the mother would be deemed ritually unclean. It's not because God hates women or mothers. It was because there was blood spilled. Blood was a huge symbol of not only life, but of promise. It was a symbol, not only of a promising life of a newborn, but most pacts, most covenants were taken in blood. When there was blood, there was always a careful, serious attitude. And the shedding of blood, whatever the occasion may be, was a serious event in the eyes of God because he is holy. It's helpful to put it this way. If all the rituals and the offerings of the Old Testament are confusing, start with, the, start with God's holiness. God's holiness was considered something so serious, so feared, that whether it was your fault or not, whether you had the best intentions, you would not want to risk being blighted by his holiness. And so Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus were going to Jerusalem so that Mary could be purified to worship before God. And on their way, they found an absolute stranger named Simeon. Now, if someone grabbed your baby as soon as you came into a building, not even your baby, right? If a random person took my phone and said stuff like this, there would be a kerfuffle of some sorts. Right? So what is, all, what is going on here? And this is pretty remarkable because what you're seeing is a desperate hope locking its eyes on salvation. All of Simeon's longing and expectations were answered in this baby. And this brings us to one of the most vital aspects of hope. 
which is our expectations. Now, I want to be clear here. Expectations are not necessarily sinful, right? Although they can be. Having expectations is a part of being human. But if we're honest with ourselves, we can admit that there are moments when we have too many ex expectations. And there are moments when we have too little expectations. Every single year, my expectations for the Yankees to win the World Series are blindingly optimistic. I trick myself into thinking that finally, this is our year. Finally, everything will click. Ownership and management will get their act together. And in recent years, what once began in optimism slowly decayed into frustration and later apathy. Right? They're going to win it all became, you know, it's a long season. And then let's just make the postseason became, you know, it's, it's the hope that kills you. Right? My lofty expectations set me up for heartbreak. I know it. And it still happens year after year. Why? See, what my heart wishes were true feeds into my expectations. As irrational as my expectations for the Yankees are, there's something deeper than the eye can see. There are roots that feed into my expectation. It doesn't have to be a sports team. It can be anything you wish gave you a better life. And one of those roots could be simply idolatry. When we sense a physical or emotional, or even an ex on an existential level that we are lacking, right, we can say, if I had this, maybe then I will finally be able to sleep at night. If I am this, if I have this status, then that's when I'll finally be somebody. We are mesmerized by the gold idol, not because of the precious metal, but because it could spell fortune, prestige, acceptance, all the things we, are so, des we so desperately desire. And if Indiana Jones has taught me anything at all in life, it's that removing an idol is dangerous. <laughs> it's risky. And yet I'll take it anyway. Right? Heartbreak, livelihood, we'll bet it all to swipe that golden figurine and have it all for ourselves. Right? And yet our lofty expectations can far exceed what any idol can deliver. To put it simply, we will rub ordinary lamps hoping a genie will come out. See, we can have lofty expectations. We can risk heartbreak when, when these idols don't deliver. And yet what I fear is the most prevalent option for us is that we have too little expectations. That we would rather close the gate, set the moat on fire, keep our hearts protected from harm, and never expect too much. Even things that could give you joy you temper yourself by downplaying it. We're sick of being disappointed, so we'll cast everything in a negative light. I fall into this category. 
Now, every time it snows, which should be a delightful experience, instead I go, great, there, there's gonna be slush in the morning, right? And this might be a silly illustration, but I hope it somewhat rings true, right? If your phone is like your heart, right? if it's the core of your being, if you can't live without it, well, what are you gonna do? You're going to build Fort Knox around it. Now I'm not putting anyone on the spot who has a case on their phone. That's not what I'm trying to get at. But we will protect our phones with diamond encrusted, Teflon coated military grade titanium forged in the fires of Mordor. So that even if it falls, the concrete will break instead of the screen. Right? I don't have a case on my phone because you know, I'm, I'm sanctified, right? But whenever someone sees my phone without a case, they always go, what are you crazy? Right? We will install an airtight security system around our hearts, never risking disappointment, not having any expectations so that we'll protect ourselves. If you're like me, you will happily slide down the ramp of cynicism. Nothing can disappoint you if you don't expect much from the world. Too many expectations and we risk heartbreak. Too little expectations and we'll never be able to enjoy life. So what's the answer here, right? Not only that, how do we know if our expectations are too high or too low to begin with? And what we find in the stories of Simeon and Anna is rather compelling. See, Simeon was nearing the end of his life. And upon seeing Jesus, he said that now he can be dismissed in peace. It took a lifetime of expectations, a lifetime of wrestling, a lifetime of searching and devoting himself to righteousness. Anna was a widow, a second-class citizen. She didn't remarry. That meant in a patriarchal society, she did not have a husband to provide her or protect her. She did not have children, especially sons, to inherit land or build wealth. And in those times, if you had many sons, you were considered a hero because you produced not only workers, but also soldiers. Many sons provided protection for the town. But Anna didn't have any of these things. These two stories show us a picture of hope waiting. Those stories speak to us today. If it takes a lifetime to see what you've been hoping for, if it takes years, not months, for you to see what you've been expecting, are you willing to wait? The waiting puts us on someone else's timeline. Waiting feels like forever. Waiting feels like the world is passing you by. Waiting means that there may be doubts. There will be hard moments. Waiting reformats our expectations in ways we are not comfortable with. Waiting is painful. Waiting means it'll take hard work, 
your resolve broken from time to time. Waiting makes us ask ourselves, what is the very fabric of our relationship with God? Is it to get him or to get him to do what we want? How long are we willing to wait? And that refocuses the question altogether, doesn't it? The question isn't, do we have too much or too little expectations? Waiting asks us, is what are, whatever we're hoping for, is it worth waiting for? Jesus can change the very thing we hope for. It did for Simeon, did for Anna as they waited. And yet their hope did not end with waiting, but hope answered. See, for Simeon, to see Jesus was not just a bucket list item. This was what the Holy Spirit wanted him to see before his death. The Spirit wanted him to see God on earth before he saw God in heaven. If I had to locate the central verses of our text, it would be verses 31 and 32. The significance of these verses cannot be glanced over. Purification rites, offerings, all those things were for the people of Israel to be able to approach God. These were all stipulations so that people could be made pure so they could approach a holy God. But when Simeon held baby Jesus, he held God who approached the people. Not only his people, but for the world, that this baby would remove all obstacles that were set before. No longer would it be that we had to get our lives together, offer up something so that we could be deemed worthy. No, God came to us. That's not only hope answered for Simeon, but expectations shattered. Effects rippling across the world. This man pursued righteousness all his life. He would be considered someone worthy in temple standards. But when he saw Jesus, when he held Jesus, God incarnate, the God who dwells with us, he could finally depart in peace. In his arms, he held salvation. Do you feel the weight of Simeon's hope answered? For Anna, to see Jesus was a comfort deeper than any husband or son. She was 84 when she saw Jesus. If the average lifespan during those times was 30 to 40 years, she lived two lifespans. Her days were filled with fasting and prayer, filled with waiting day after day, scraping together whatever hope, her heart had left, and in one moment, her life had changed. It's almost as if at the age of 84, her life had just begun. There wasn't a removal of her circumstances. She was still a widow. Where hope was scarce, was now filled to the brim. Right? Simeon and Anna came from two very different places. And yet when they saw Jesus, not only did Jesus far exceed their expectations, but their lives were changed.
but you and I need a God who doesn't just meet our expectations, but far exceeds them. And the only way you'll see God exceeding your expectations is to see him go through something you never would expect God to go through. Suffering. The cross, God's wrath. Who would have ever thought that the God of the universe would enter into this world knowing that he would die by the hands of those he came to save? Who would have ever expected this same God to wash the feet of his disciples, the very feet they used to run away and abandon him? Who would have ever hoped for a God who was born in poverty, raised in poverty, and died in poverty? Jesus really did go through all of that. And he did it because he loves us. And before we close, I have three practical ways we can apply our text. Application one is waiting is hard. That's it. That's the first application. Waiting is hard. Application two is we have to share who Jesus is with others. You've probably heard that a million times. But we have to share. Imagine going through all of the woes these past two years without Jesus. That's a reality to many around us. And if you're like me, you can count all the reasons not to do something. It might sound invasive. It might cause me problems in the future with my neighbor or my coworker or friend. But enter into this thought process of hope. Begin to hope how this person's life could change. How Christ could comfort them. They might be on their last branch trying to keep a dying fire alive. Share who Jesus is. It can be implicitly at first, but always leading up to something explicit. Hey, I know we've been friends for a while, but we haven't talked about what's what the most important thing in our lives are is yet. Let's grab dinner and let's talk about it. And for sure, there will be a lot of uncomfortable moments. This might even disrupt your life in some ways, but this is a hope that those around us need. Application three is anticipate your weakness and Jesus' strength. And this may be a trying time for you. And it feels like every crumb of news about the Omicron variant threatens to break us into despair, right? Maybe you don't know what the future holds in regards to work, your health, the health of loved ones. You feel an ache in your heart and sadness. And Jesus sees that. Jesus hears us. The spirit comforts you and consoles you. We can look at the brokenness of this world, the brokenness inside of us, and the Spirit encourages us with a word that we can say when we look at those things. And that word is nevertheless. It's a hope that you can't explain even in those darkest moments. That's the Spirit comforting you. 
all of these things happened, but nevertheless. And if you don't feel that sense of comfort and hope in you, which I'm sure a lot of us don't, then Jesus is calling you to wait. Your expectations will be exceeded. Why? Because Jesus will answer our expectations in the most unexpected ways by being our hope. So turn to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your son who came by humble means, who came in a world in peril, who promises to change our lives if we follow him. And as we start this new year, may it be filled with a quiet joy in the midst of sorrow, persistence in a world that grows in patience, and love in a culture of outrage. Answer the hope in our hearts in unexpected ways, through unexpected people, and through the unexpected presence of your Son. In his name we pray. Amen.